0: welcome to the river it's so good to see you i miss you guys as many of you know i had a back problem and had some procedures done and when they mess with your discs it takes some time to recover so (laughs) i am recovering and hopefully it'll just get better and better but it'll take some time and so excuse me if i have to sit down Uh, in the middle but i really missed being with you all and it just feels so good to worship you can feel the presence of god the holy spirit it just lifts up your soul so it's been so good to be here yeah good to see you just a lot of faces i've missed Uh, so hey um, we are in a a, a sermon series called life of worth because everyone wants to feel worthy But what that looks like is different for each person depending on what value system you have. Different people, different times, different civilization, value different things and place worth in different ways. Even today in our society, different people place worth in different places, right? And so through this series, we are exploring what Jesus taught about where our worth should be placed and how that's going to help us grow as human beings and have life in all its fullness that he wanted us to have. Sounds good? So today I want to look at a passage that gives us insights about how different groups saw worth in different places at the time of Jesus versus where Jesus placed worth to get a contrast and comparison so that he can instruct us in our times. So we're looking at this passage from the book of Mark chapter 2 it says one sabbath you guys know sabbath it's the holy day the day of rest Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful, only for priests to to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely. To see if he would heal on the Sabbath, Jesus said to the man with the surefooted hand, "Stand up in front of everyone." Well, he's not dodging the issue; he's actually highlighting the issue. Then Jesus asked them, "Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill?" But they remained silent. He looked around them. At them in anger and deeply distrust at their stubborn hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What an interesting passage. There are three groups described in this passage, three main groups pharisees herodians and jesus and they offer us insights because they place worth in different places who are these people the best way to think about pharisees is that they were god-loving bible following conservative church people that's the most equivalent most similarity between today and then So the obvious question is, if Jesus, as we believe, is the God incarnate, how can such God-loving people hate Jesus so much that they want to kill him? Right? How is that even possible? A big reason for this is described in this passage, the conflict over Sabbath. Pharisees ask, why are you or they, your disciples, doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Unlawful here doesn't mean illegal. Unlawful means laws of the Bible, rules in the Bible, what the Bible commands you to do. Why are you so willy-nilly doing what is prohibited by the Bible, is the question. Got it? Sabbath, for those of you who might not be familiar, was a command from God to rest every seven days. This is very important because God created order out of chaos with day and night and working six days and resting on the seventh day. And It was a big deal for the people who loved the Bible. And there was a strict list of what was considered work. By Bible loving people, and healing was considered work and prohibited on Sabbath. Thus, the conflict. Now, that might seem silly to us today, right? What's the big deal? You know, healing, come on. But it was such a huge deal for people who cared about the Bible at the time. Did you know there is a passage in the Bible about how Israel was destroyed because they didn't keep the Sabbath specifically? That's a big deal, right? It spells it out. It's like how many church leaders today in America talks about how God is going to destroy America because of the acceptance of the LGBTQ issue. Right? You're familiar with that kind of talk. Consider that there is nothing in the Bible that says God is going to destroy you if LGBTQ people get accepted. But Sabbath, there is. Sabbath is a much bigger deal in the Bible than the LGBTQ issue. It's the fourth in the famous Ten Commandments. It comes even before the commandment not to murder even bigger deal. It is mentioned 172 times in the Bible. LGBTQ issue, at best, five or six times, if you include every indirect reference. 172, five or six. What do you think seems more important to you in the Bible? And here comes Jesus, seen by many to be a prophet. And he has no problem breaking Sabbath laws and just treating willy nilly, just not that important. No wonder people of God flipped out. Because conservative church people always place supreme worth in keeping to the Bible laws. But Jesus places more worth in the person in front of him than keeping Sabbath. You see that, right? There's a difference in where they are placing worth. Now, this kind of conflict between the Bible people and the prophets is quite common throughout the history of faith described in the Bible as well as church history. Why is there such a pattern of conflict When both love God. Why? Why is that? I think one explanation for this pattern can be found in what is called stage theory. I mentioned this in my last sermon. And uh, it has flaws and limitations, but it's quite useful in thinking through patterns. And it's applicable in this instance. So let me go through this briefly. So stage one is basically criminal. It's toddler mentality, like some kind of boss baby, right? Have you ever noticed that toddlers are pretty much all criminals? (laughs) They really are. Uh, There's there's no reasoning with toddlers. They're just going to do whatever they want to do, you know? Just get whatever, you know? Don't hit your sister. Why not? (laughs) Right? Unfortunately, for some people, this toddler mentality persists into adulthood. (laughs) You know, and that's a problem, right? And could even represent an entire culture at times. Entire culture could get stuck in stage one. Like, you know, Chicago under Al Capone or something. In fact, sadly, humanity spent much of its history in stage one. 99% of its history was spent in stage one. Might makes right. People did horrible things forever kings and chieftains did whatever they wanted just horrible things barbaric things herodians in this passage are stage one through and through you might remember from christmas stories how king herod massacred babies of bethlehem you remember that story he He ordered that any baby under the age of two in Bethlehem just get killed. (laughs) Well, that's where Herodians come from. You notice Herod, Herodians? Got it? These people have no ethics, no rule, no conscience. The only thing that matters to them is pursuit of power. So they can do whatever they want to do. Worth in stage one culture is being on top at whatever cost. Do whatever you can to stay on top so you can do whatever you want. Such a cynical culture cannot last long because if you can massacre babies, because the only thing of worth is power to you, then nothing is meaningful. Everything and everyone is meaningless, including yourself. In such a place, it's just violence and chaos everywhere all the time. As philosopher Thomas Hobbes described much of human history, he called it the war of all against all. A terrible state of existence. This was the dominant reality for most of human history until a remarkable change began to take place around 2,500 years ago around the globe in in what some call the advent of axial age. Around the globe, around the axis of the globe, different philosophies, religions, and schools of thought emerged around the same time, separated by such distance that you know you don't see them connecting, but they all arose. Confucius in East Asia talked about heavenly ways. That if you don't follow these heavenly ways, proper ways, even kings could get judged by heaven and mandate of heaven will be taken away and you'll be in big trouble. Everything and everyone had their proper place and proper way to behave, right? Karma in India, in that culture, talked about how, sure, as a king, you can do whatever you want, but if you do evil things, then in your next life, you'll be born as a dung beetle, right? So watch it. You can't just do whatever you want. Heavens are watching you. You will pay for what you do. Right is mightier than might. You see the idea? And of course, Judaism, Christianity, Islam later developed the idea of how God is going to judge you and send you to hell if you just do whatever you want to do like a toddler. Right? different places, but all had this in common. They pushed against stage one, that you can't just do whatever you want because there are higher laws. Church and military are prime stage two. This is stage two, right over might. They, this mentality, this culture plays great worth in things like law and order. Lines, black and white, good and evil, right? Proper things, proper places, honor, righteousness, rules, holiness. These are very important words in stage two. Right? Makes sense. Now, this was a great advancement over stage one. Law and order are great things. I love it. I don't want the war of all against all, do you? This was a great thing, but it has its flaws as shown in this passage. The Pharisees, who are stage two through and through, right? They are stage two people, Bible loving, obey God, followers of rules. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What is so interesting about this is. Normally, these groups are bitter enemies. They are catch and dogs, right? Bible-following holy people and baby-murdering hedonists. They don't mix, do they? Right? How can they? You know, I have to be honest. I used to doubt this verse a little bit. I used to think, maybe this verse is bit of an exaggeration you know what i mean like maybe it was a small group of pharisees not representing the whole group you know who went out and they're kind of corrupt people themselves they're pretending to be you know god-loving bible lovers they're really criminal at heart and they they just and then the bible just painted the whole pharisees the bible lovers as, as as having this kind of you know what i mean that's kind of because I just couldn't wrap my mind around this. How could the two? I can't picture it. Until Trump. Until Trump. And I saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> How the evangelicals, the group I was part of, basically the entire group, when wholesale support of Trump with passion. Evangelical supported Trump more than any other politician in entire history. Unbelievable, just through and through, wholehearted support. Just think about, focus on the family, supporting Trump with passion. Just think about that for a moment. Focus on the family is one of the most judgmental, conservative, Bible rule insisting, preaching about family values. And Trump is the poster boy of everything they rail against. Divorce? Check. Affairs? Check. Corn stars, check. I mean, every single thing they stand against uh, define who they are. Trump checks all the boxes. How can you like, support this guy 100% through and through, even now? How on earth? Don't you? I doesn't compute. Sadly, This is nothing new in church history. The reason for today's alliance between evangelicals and Trump is the same as the alliance between the Pharisees and Herodians back then. Political power over trigger issues. Sabbath laws in Jesus' days has very similar dynamics as today's LGBTQ and abortion issues. God's people were so obsessed with the Sabbath back then that they thought they were doing God's work to join forces with Herodians to oppose Jesus. This reveals an important insight that's applicable to us today. Human brains have amazing capacity to self-justify any behavior even while seeing yourself as good, and godly. Remember that. Especially stage two. We must take care not to fall into this trap of some bigger objective like God's wrath. Obsession over trigger issues can lead us to some strange and twisted places ignoring harm to actual people. Jesus asks, Which is lawful? Which is following the Bible on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And they remain silent. They cannot answer this question. Instead, they go out and plot to kill Jesus. Believing that it's following the Bible to try to kill someone on sabbath that's not breaking the bible's rules but healing yeah that definitely is breaking god's heart we have to stamp that out what God? what <laughs> what are you doing what a convoluted logic you know when you're like in when you suspect there's some convoluted logic let some red flags go on okay because it happens all the time. 9-11 terrorists. They killed so many people believing they were serving God. Yes? Nazi Germany were great believers in law and order. They really saw themselves as good people. Ignoring their criminal brutality. Conservative Christians advocate for guns everywhere and stand against LGBTQ, ignoring harm to actual people. It's just this is Everywhere. You know, I've been reading about Israel-Hamas war lately, as many of you, I'm sure, have. You guys are aware of what's going on in the Middle East? It's horrible what's happening there. And, I, I, you know, we could talk for hours about that, but let me just make this one observation. I've been reading Arabic media, like Al Jazeera, as well as Israeli media and right-wing media here. And it's like you are living in two different realities. <laughs> if you read Al Jazeera, there is not one mention of Hamas murdering babies. Not one. Not one sentence. After several weeks of reading them, I still can't find them. It's all about how Israel is the absolute evil as colonizing oppressors. It's all about how Gaza and millions of people, Palestinians, have been suffering daily, which is true. But they never mention how Hamas did anything bad. It's all like only one-sided facts and of course, vice versa, on the other side. There's never any mention of the suffering and injustice suffered by the Palestinians. It's all about how Hamas killed babies. It's like, I I mean, they're all looking at the same events. But how they interpret the events is night and day. They both see themselves as absolute good standing against evil. You see that? That's really, really possible when you see yourself You can see yourself as good. And your brain can just do all kinds of gymnastics to make yourself believe how right you are. So this is my first practical suggestion. Make sure your need to be in the right is not driving you. It's not just political facts. It can affect your daily personal life as well in all kinds of ways. We can get so focused on being in the right, we can lose sight of the goals of our lives. For example, when we get married, how many of you are married here? So many of you, right? When you got married, what was your vow? What was your vow? I vowed to be in the right, and I will point out every way I'm in the right, and you are wrong, and I will always insist I'm right. What, was that your vow? <laughs> what was your vow? What was your goal? Wasn't your goal, oh, you know, I love this person. I want to support this person. And I want to make sure this person thrives. And I vowed to do everything I can through thick and thin to work on the relationship and support you. And which was your vow, right? But we forget the goals in the moment when we feel I am right, I'm being wronged, and you just go at it. Don't tear down your partner in your pursuit of proving you are right. Of course, you have to have conversations about what's right, what's wrong, and all that. But make sure you are like, not just defending yourself, making sure you're both being built up. Isn't that the goal? That both are being built up? Don't like throw nukes around is what I'm saying. Right? Our need to be in the right drives so much of our behavior. We really need to take care. Amen? Look at Jesus. He never loses sight. Jesus puts worth in the human being in front of him. At the risk to his own life. He knew that this group would go and try to plot to kill him. That's why he asked is he really following the Bible to heal or to kill? He knows that they're going to try to kill him. Right? So he knew like bringing that sick man up and, like, making it a big issue instead of kind of being political would put his life in danger. It does not stop him from healing this man. You know, this kind of question, is it lawful to heal or kill, it's impossible for stage two to answer. They stay silent because their mental gymnastics It's just impossible to answer such a question, right? But it's a perfect question for stage four, which Jesus is. Now, I'm skipping over stage three. Don't have time for it. Come back for another sermon for stage three. The point is stage four is very threatening to stage two. There are very many reasons for this. But one of the primary reasons is that stage four looks like it's blurring the lines, but it is morally superior. They sense it. At least with stage one, you can feel superior. You, you know you are morally superior than stage one. You are more advanced. But with stage four, you recognize that's more advanced, but they're blurring the lines, They're breaking rules. They're invalidating my entire existence and my way of thinking. That's very threatening, existentially threatening. Consider the LGBTQ issue today. To stage two, it just feels wrong. Just at gut level. I come from stage two culture, Confucian culture. Man is man, woman is woman. (laughs) They have defined places and how they should behave. Blur that, anything goes. Right? It just feels so fundamentally threatening to blur that line. It's not the Bible. It's stage two. It's this instinctive sense. You can't blur this line or it just all goes. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That's what's happening with this issue. Because is it really following the Bible to bring such untold harm to LGBTQ community to kill It is not. In this passage Jesus shows us remarkably different approach. From either stage one or stage two, to show us what real righteousness looks like and where we should put worth then, Jesus places supreme worth in the human being in front of him. Not in being right or being on top. He says Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Given the importance of Sabbath laws, this is in effect saying the Bible is made for human beings, not human beings for the Bible. What a radical statement. Because to stage two Christians, it's, we are all created for the Bible. right? That's how it comes across. Right? Bible is so much higher than us. We should sacrifice ourselves for the Bible. What a statement for a person of faith. If it were me, I would have argued. To heal on Sabbath is not really breaking the Sabbath laws. I believe in the Bible just as you. I just believe that healing is obeying the Bible. That's what I would have argued. Wouldn't you? Is that what Jesus does? He could have done that very easily. Instead, he makes the statement, "The Bible is made for man, not man for the Bible." Oh, that's like waving red flag in front of a bull, don't you think? To people who just love the Bible. What? I believe this was so intentional. He's saying, it's all made for you. Don't be a slave to the rules. Think about what would benefit or harm actual people. He's going to the principle behind the Bible rules. All Bible rules, the Bible itself tells us, all Bible's laws come from loving and benefiting actual people. That's the principle. So stage four proceeds from principles. Not just rules. See that? Jesus shows us God places supreme worth in you, you and you and you and you and you. You are what is worthy in the eyes of God. You are. You are not to see yourself. And sacrifice yourself and compromise your dignity and compromise who you are for any goal even the bible or success success is made for you not you for the success don't don't kill yourself for success compromise your integrity for success you are more important than success strength and beauty made for human beings godliness is made for human beings being right is made for human beings it's not an end in itself okay there is dignity and worth in each of you that is unconditional and infinite equivalent in worth to god incarnate's life belief in that is what makes you christian amen So then live from that place. Recognize the dignity and worth in yourself. Don't berate yourself and be so harsh on yourself so often. If you're like me, you're very harsh on yourself. How many of you would say that? There's a voice in your head that's just always like, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Don't do that. It's easy to do, but it's not a virtue in faith. Don't abuse yourself. Because God placed worth in you. Treat yourself well. If God thinks you are that worthy, how can you stand against God and treat yourself like trash if you believe in God? Yes? And don't expose yourself to abuse. Sometimes some principle makes you vulnerable to abuse, like being nice, in church especially. Too many women in church history endured abuse at the hands of man, because supposedly women must submit to man, as the Bible tells us so. Right? You know about this, right? But the Bible is made for you, not the other, not the other way around. So don't expose yourself to abuse. You are worth the life of God incarnate. So act accordingly. Demand to be treated according to the worth God places in you. Which also means don't abuse other people. If you see that kind of worth in you and in all human beings, how how can you? How can you steal or lie or cheat or do harm to beings that God places such worth? Do you know what I'm saying? If you're willing to do that, then that betrays your true belief that you think success or being on top or getting ahead is more important than the person in front of you. Look at Jesus. He Heals this sick man at the risk to his own life. Let that be an example. Place worth in the person in front of you. Amen? Amen. That is what makes us salt and light in this world that places worth in all kinds of things. That is what makes us Christian. And it will liberate us and bring us to life in all its fullness and the kingdom of God that God wants for us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the way that Jesus is the light of this world. Now, Jesus shows us how we live in darkness of our own making, how our brains get us to dark places and trap us there with all kinds of mental gymnastics. Help us, free us to see things as they are by helping us to place worth in the right place. Thank you for the statement of faith that Christ died for you and me, showing us the worth that God shows in us. Help us to live according to that and help us be free from darkness. In Jesus' name we pray.